In today's show, we're talking Denver Nuggets. It's the headmaster, Jamal Murray. It's Maga Porter Jr. It's Big Chungus, Nikola Jokic. We're going to be talking with Matt Moore of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. That means that Michael Bolton's here. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. We're here to talk Denver Nuggets, a very different looking team to last season and a lot of questions that need uh, need to be answered. So, warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. All right, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll bring him in now, one of the hosts of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Matt Moore is back with us. Matt, welcome back to the show. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm ready to talk Denver Nuggets because this is a team that is it is quite different to, um, I guess, how it is last season just because we've got players that were significantly injured last season returning to the fold and... It's just going to change things, but we'll get to that in a second. We'll talk about those injured players because I know everyone wants to hear about it, but let's look at the changes to the roster in general, and they did not really stand pat over the offseason. Bruce Brown comes in, Contavious Caldwell-Pope is Smith, DeAndre Jordan, Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, then Jack White and Colin Gillespie um, on the two ways. They lost Will Barton, Monty Morris, DeMarcus Cousins didn't return, Jermichael Green's gone. I'm sure you were devastated that Faku Kompatso is out of there. Bryn Forbes, Austin Rivers. So that's a lot of changes, Matt. Um... You know, obviously, whatever happened last season and the results, there are plenty of reasons you can give for them not going as far as maybe they hoped. But all these changes, is this, are they, I'm not say pushing all in for this season, but it is a lot to, I guess, I don't even know if it's messing with the continuity, but it is a lot of changes uh, with a lot of these positions. So I think after the 2020 bubble run, when they made the Western Conference Finals, uh, they were kind of geared to like, okay, this is a championship level squad. And then the next year, you know, they uh, they lose Jeremy Grant. And so that set them back. And then they add Aaron Gordon. They gave up significant pieces to get him. And that was kind of like the, okay, this is going to be like the squad. And then last year, what was interesting is, even though they were missing two starters for the majority of the season, they kind of came to the conclusion that like this is wasn't going to get it done. But all right, we're ready to compete at this level. We have a, a superstar that's good enough. We think the second, third, fourth guys are good enough. But after that, there's too much of a drop-off, especially, I think, on the defensive side. So they make these additions that are really centered on revamping the bench and reconfiguring what the team's going to look like defensively while trying to not sacrifice on offense. And the result is looking like a team that's probably going to be a top five offense. If everything goes right for them, if it's, if they're not a top five offense, that means either somebody got injured or things have gone off the rails. And then defensively, they have some upside that's still going to be their weak spot. But this definitely, I think the moves do show an aggressiveness, especially with Tim Conley leaving and Calvin Booth taking over but tell me about Shadows that there is kind of this recognition of the time is not now for patience. The time is for aggressively pursuing the moves that need to be made to win a championship. If we look at the top here, the top two names, like of players coming in, Bruce Brown and Contavious Corpo, like that's defense. And then the top two names out, Will Barton and Monty Morris, it's not so much defense. But yeah, 
when you're getting two names in, in Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., like Porter played five games whenever he played last season. Yeah, that's there's, there's your offense covered there. So you're right, that is a distinct change in or a focus on getting those defensive guys in to play significant roles around these other you know, high offensive type players. Um, let's, let's just do it now, mate. Let's talk injuries. Jamal Murray, ACL torn, April 2021. Some people were hoping for a return towards the playoffs, but yeah, that was always going to be pushing it. That's 12 months. Now, I know there's been panic in some circles. It's in, you know, It was reported by, well, not reported, Mike Malone said, oh yeah, Jamal, we'll see how he goes. He might be limited uh, and play uh, minutes in the 20s when he comes back. Um, people are worried that he's not going to be ready to return. I think people are scared about Jonathan Isaac's uh, two-year return from an ACL injury. From what I understand, Jamal Murray is currently here. He's, he's not with me, but he's here in Melbourne at the moment. And I've, multiple people that I know have spoken to him. He said, no, he's ready to go. Like he's going to be there, first preseason game, ready to go. How much of a restriction do you think there will be on Murray? Um, you know, he was playing like 35 minutes a night before he tore his ACL. I sort of think it's going to be low 30s. He might sit some back-to-backs for the first couple of months. But I don't think it's going to be this situation where they're going super easy and he's playing 26 minutes and he's only playing 60, 55 games for the season. What have you heard on that that front? I mean, I, th- I think the the plan, the, the idea, the thing with the Nuggets is even more so than most people, the plan never really survives the battlefield whenever yeah. it comes to this kind of stuff. They're always like, yeah, no, we're going to take it easy on the guys. Oh, no, we're four games under 500. Uh, everybody's playing 35 minutes. That's just been how it is. And so, look, if they get off to a good start, opening schedule is road heavy, but pretty easy in terms of opponent. If they get off to a good start, they might take it easy a little bit. I do think initially he's going to be at 25 minutes. I think they'll do that the first, I don't know, month, and they'll see how it goes. He's going to push them, <clears throat> I think, pretty aggressively to break his minutes restriction consistently. I think that's probably going to be a tension point. Uh, as it goes, but I think he'll start 25 minutes. I'd expect him to, to be 30 ish, probably January nearing all-star and stay there for the majority of the season. I'm not expecting him to play most of the back-to-backs. I do think that those are going to be the areas where he'll probably miss because you know, the early ones, which are more ideal, you've got more rest, but that's when he's just coming off of the injury. And that's when you want to be more cautious. And then late in the year, he's got more miles on him. So at this point, I, it's one reason why I do think that you're going to see a lot of Bones Highland is because I do think they're going to be a little cautious with Jamal, not only from a health standpoint, but road back was much more difficult than I think he expected. And that's one of the reasons he didn't return last season. And they want to make sure that he's fully comfortable before the playoffs. They're very much geared towards, we'll get enough wins. We got to make sure that Jamal's in a good place once May rolls around. I agree on the back-to-backs. I think that once you hit Christmas, you might start to get cleared, maybe even all-star break for back-to-backs. I, I don't know. I just find it hard to see them just going yeah, super soft on 25 minutes because, as you've said in the past, like, and even Malone has been like, you know, contrary to what they've put out in terms of yep. um, restrictions or rotations, he'd just be like, oh, oh well, bad luck. Like, He's my starter. He's playing 31 minutes. I just, again, it's not, he didn't tear it in October. Like this, he's had, he's going to have had five or six months past when he probably could have returned. We'll see how it goes. I'm just, I guess the idea is there there that that's going to happen. But when it actually starts to to occur and games start to take place, I'm going to find it really hard to see Malone keeping Jamal Murray at 25 minutes a night for anything more than like maybe, maybe a couple of weeks. But hey, I don't know. We'll see. What about Michael Porter Jr.? That's more worrying to me because obviously ACL is a bad injury, but we are 
you know, a long way on in sports medicine where there used to be something where it could cripple people's careers. It just doesn't anymore. People come back and they're fine in you know, 99.9% of the cases and it doesn't really impact them. This is the third back injury for Michael Porter Jr. that's cost him basically, I think, three years of his NBA career. Um, he was obviously not right before he had the surgery. There was talk that maybe, again, like Murray, he would come back at the end of the season. But with such a ongoing situation... Yeah, this, this has to be somewhat of a concern for him moving forward. Like, I'm not worried about Murray re-injuring the ACL, but I am worried about Porter and the back. Um, what was the surgery? Was it something that they said, we need to do this to alleviate future concerns, or is it just something that you think there's just going to be prolonged issues with it? It's going to be long issues with it. You know, my, my understanding is is that, look, this is going to be an ongoing thing, and it's probably going to impact his career long-term. Yep. However, it may not impact him now for several years. Like the injury itself that caused the nece- the need for the surgery was pretty not random. It wasn't unpredictable, but it wasn't one of those things where it was something that anybody missed. It was just bad luck, right? He suffers this. He was probably going to suffer at some point. Him suffering it so early was an issue. Tried to push, tried to come back in April. He was actually set to, to kind of return. Then he, he suffered a setback. That to me is like the big concern there is yeah. that like, he pushed himself to try and get back because I think he hates the idea that he's an injury prone player. And so he pushed to try and come back and then suffered the setback. And then now is out again, um, fully cleared hundred percent right now. There's not going to be, I don't think as many restrictions on him because my understanding with everybody is that unlike Jamal with Porter, it's very much a let's make hay while the sun is up in terms of, we don't know how long he's going to be able to play long-term and he wants every opportunity to prove himself. So I'm not expecting as the back-to-backs, probably some some caution there. He If he has any soreness in his back, obviously, he'll miss some time. Um, but there's not an expectation for it to limit him this season. There's not an expectation for his minutes to be restricted beyond the back-to-backs. This Who do you think plays more games then, Mario Porter? Good question. <clears throat> I'll say Jamal. Uh, just because I think every time that's not back to back, I think Jamal will be available. I don't see Jamal missing a lot of small ones. He does suffer some ankle injuries pretty consistently, but he's had so much strength in his legs that kind of makes me a little bit hesitant on that versus, you know, Porter with the back. If he's just got some soreness or, uh, if he tweaks something, plus he plays a little bit more physical just in terms of, he's actually a really great rebounder. So, um, I can actually see Porter. I'll put it this way. The team is going to be more cautious with Jamal's workload but they have to be more cautious game to game with Michael Porter Jr. It's something that their fantasy managers are going to have to navigate. Again, I'm, I'm, I personally am way more worried about Porter and the recurring yeah. nature of that injury. And I'll, you know, Murray's already his rankings has already sort of priced in the, the, the issue with his knee. And I'll happily take him, but with Porter, I'm obviously a little bit more cautious in terms of Colin Gillespie. He broke his leg, so he's probably going to be out for, you know, I think it's up until January. Not that we were relying upon him. To really do too much, um, or if we are relying upon him to do much this season, Matt, then things have gone uh, horribly, horribly awry. Before we get into your starting lineup, I'm going to tell people about Rocket Money. Yes, Rocket Money. You might have heard it as Truebill, because that's what it used to be called. But because it was just doing so many things, they thought Truebill's is not covering the name. It's just not covering what we're actually offering here. So it's been changed to Rocket Money. 
Truebill is now backed by Rocket Companies. It's grown from a bill management app into a full-on personal finance empowerment tool that helps over 3.4 million people with budgeting, lowering bills, canceling subscriptions, and more, saving each of their members on average 700 bucks a year. With all that growth comes the next evolution in Truebill's story, and it's a new name. It is, as I said, Rocket Money. Bottom line is, Rocket Money is everything that you've loved about Truebill, but with a fresh new look and feel. So start canceling your unused subscriptions and save that money at rocketmoney.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's rocketmoney.com slash LockedOnNBA. Or you go download the app from the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. It is Rocket Money. Used to be called Truebill. It is now Rocket Money. All right, Matt, starting five. I don't think there's really any debate about this group. We've got Jamal Murray, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic. I guess the only thing people might debate is, oh, maybe KCP doesn't start. I really don't see any scenario there outside of injury. We know that, you know, Katevis Pope goes to teams. He plays well. He plays 29 minutes and already plays defense. He shoots threes and fits in around other stars. And I don't know how you could ask for anything more perfect than that. Yeah, and I mean, he was the upgrade that they targeted. They actually made moves, trying to get him at the dead- deadline, couldn't get a deal done, came back and got it done in the offseason. It was their primary move was to upgrade Will Barton for KCP. It's a younger player who's a much, much better defender and is actually a better spot-up shooter. Um, less bounce off the ball, won't contribute as many ways there, but he is obviously just a, ma- a much better defender, and that is the biggest reason why he's going to wind up in the starting unit. Is With KCP and Aaron Gordon, you have two plus defenders. With Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, you have average to above-average defenders, and you have one poor defender at Michael Porter Jr., that's a lot easier to manage than multiple poor defenders, which is what they had starting last season. Yeah, and what Barton brings is yeah that yeah self creation and dribbling and passing ability. But when you've got Murray and you've got Jokic and you've got Porter's self creation as well, it's not really as important. And he sometimes tended to get I don't know if Barton got lost necessarily, or he would take the ball out of the hands of the others, which I guess is something you don't want to do when there are other superior players in that lineup. So it is that upgrade there. Um, I'm not going to talk tons about Jokic here because I don't really know what to say about what he what he's done. Um actually I'm, maybe maybe I do have a question about him later on. Uh, actually I think I do. So we'll we'll save that for for Jokic later on. In terms of the rotation of bench group, we've got Bones Highland, Bruce Brown, Davon Reed, Jeff Green and Zeke Naji and I am absolutely 100% through it. I, I couldn't be happier. In fact, I almost I almost fist pumped when I saw that you had Zeke Naji in there ahead of DeAndre Jordan as the backup big man because if you again, if you're in a situation where you're relying upon DeAndre Jordan to play minutes you're going to lose games. But let's talk about um, Bones Highland, who was a rookie sensation for where he was picked. He probably shouldn't have been picked that that late in the draft, but he was, and then he played well. But there was always these situations where Michael Malone, who again, very hard to trust things that he says to the press, when he was, oh, we've got to give Bones more minutes. He's going to get more minutes, and then he would play 20 minutes, and he played 21 minutes. So you talked about Bones having a bigger role. I know a lot of people have said oh, this is going to be a huge role for Bones. I, I've pushed back on that a little bit, Matt, for this reason, because Monty Morris is gone, Will Barton is gone, correct. But you bring in KCP, Bruce Brown, and Jamal Murray. So, yeah, Austin Rivers is gone as well. He wasn't playing a huge amount. So where does, yeah, how much is Bones, okay, you're looking at Bones as 30 minutes, 25 minutes, 24, like 23 minutes. Like where do you see him fitting in? Because it's not like they've just cleared this huge runway, in my mind, for Bones to come in and play a big role. There's, the guys have gone out and guys have come in almost like-for-like like replacements with Morris Barton, KCP Brown, and then Murray on top of that. So how, how where do you see Bones elevating? Is he the number one guy, first man off the bench sort of thing for this team? He's definitely the first man off the bench. That's for sure. Uh, 
I, I think there's two key questions when you're trying to analyze and predict and project Bones' role and minutes on the team. The one is what we talked about initially, which was how much do you expect Jamal Murray to miss? Yep. If it's like you or you're like, I think they'll probably push it and he'll get back up to 30 pretty quickly. I'm a little bit more cautious. And I think he's not going to have nights off where, you know, okay, the he didn't his body didn't respond great. They're going to be a little cautious with it. He's going to take the night off. Bones moves into a starting role then. I think Bones is going to wind up starting a handful of games, the back-to-backs, maybe a few others along the way. So that's going to boost up his his overall production in, in various inconsistent stints. Um, the other thing I think is Bones is the only player on the bench. I guess Bruce Brown and I would fit in this category as well that can conceivably play to close games. Michael Malone, one of the things when you look at this roster, there's a lot of flexibility. So if you're facing a team where you want offense down the stretch, you can go with Jamal, Bones, KCP, Aaron Gordon, Jokic, or Jamal, Bones, um, KCP, Michael Porter Jr., and Jokic. Uh, if you get into a situation where you're, you're aiming more for defense, then you don't play Bones, but you close with, say, Jamal Murray, Bruce Brown, KCP, Aaron Gordon, and Jokic. Like, they have a lot more flexibility. Bones does fit into a lot of those rotations. Um, I also kind of expect for bones they're going to want to get bones minutes with Jokic, which it'll be interesting to see one of the key rotations there is whether or not Jokic comes out early and starts the second quarter like guys like joel and b do or if they keep what they did last year which is Jokic plays the entire first quarter you know bones comes in for the very end of it and then Jokic sits to start the second quarter which case bones wouldn't get that many minutes with them I do think there will be an effort to get minutes with Bones and the starters. I think there is a confidence of what he can bring there. Uh, I think if you're trying to, to buy time for whatever reason for anybody, or if you've got injuries, Bones is a guy I think that benefits from if Bruce Brown is out, I think Bones plays more minutes. KCP's out, I think Bones plays more minute. You know, if Michael Porter Jr. is out, that one's a little bit more complicated, but I do think that Bones is going to be the recipient of a lot of those rotations. Uh, it's a lot that they're asking of him but they have a lot of confidence that he really might have the capacity to do it. They want to push him. They're not just going in and like, know your role. There's a real like, okay, we're going to give you more responsibility. Let's see how you handle it going into the season. We haven't seen it, but how do you envisage a backcourt pairing of Bones and Jamal Murray? Like, is that too, is it too weak defensively? Not that Murray's a terrible defender, but he's not a great one. Bones has some issues there in terms of size as well. Like he's yeah. pretty slender. Like, is that a combination that, that can work? I think so versus the bench units. Like it's the versus the, the starting units is where it would have trouble. But we've seen consistently that when Murray plays next to a high level guard, he actually excels a little bit more. This is why the Monte Morris and Jamal Murray connections were always, those lineups were always spectacular. They were really good. Now, Bones is less of a pure point than Monte. Monte's a floor general, and Monte used to joke like, yeah, we it works because I know my role. It's give him the ball and get out the way. Bones is a little bit, he's got a little bit more shake, right? He wants to score a little bit more. But having two different guys that can create off the dribble that way, I do think that that boosts your offense. It increases your gravity. Depending on the other three surrounding players, I think those lineups can work out really well. Let's look at, you know, I don't really want to talk about Jeff Green or Davon Reed, particularly huge amounts here, but let's talk about some of the young guys. We've talked about Bones. I don't expect Christian Brown or Peyton Watson to play a huge amount, but Zeke Nagy last season, I thought Matt was really starting to come on, um, was putting together a nice couple of 20, 25 minute a night games, coming off the bench, putting up some really good numbers, sharing the court a little bit with Jokic, and then he got hurt and never really sort of recovered that role. 
Do you think that he is the primary big that they bring off the bench before Jeff Green? Because Green was playing in an outsized role last season because of the absence of Porter. Um, Najee's a guy that's got some shooting ability, some shot blocking ability. I think he can work with Jokic, but like we're looking at Bones as the first guard off the bench. Do you think that Zeke can be that first big man off the bench or is he going to be buried back you know, behind Jeff Green and playing just you know, scrap minutes behind Jokic? I think it's going to depend on how what Zeke's approach is and one, the offseason in terms of how much he bulks up and two, um, in training camp, he tends to have confidence issues and that causes some problems with Malone being able to trust him. You know, you talked about the DeAndre Jordan factor there. The reason that I put Zeke there is that the intention of the Nuggets is for Zeke and Jeff Green to play heavy minutes as a small ball five combo that with better guard play than they had last year, they can get away with playing essentially small ball units. I asked Zeke Naji last media day. I said, what, what do you think your position is now? And he says, I'm a three. Yeah, I'm a wing. <laughs> okay. And I was like, ball, ball that's, flashbacks. That's, that's not going to go great. No. And it didn't, you know, and his shooting is, is spectacular, but what they really need from him is for him to be a five. They need him to be a small ball five to whatever degree that he can. And then Jeff Green can play next to him and they can kind of, if Jeff Green needs to take an assignment, he can. And if Jeff Green needs to play four, he can. And that'll kind of fill in those gaps. If they get a training camp and that's not working, if they get a training camp and Zeke, who has not been a great rebounder, continues to struggle rebounding, Malone's going to play DeAndre Jordan. He's going to play him. And it's going to go badly. And he's going to be a minus. Like, I can already see the, the path going right now where it's Christmas and Jordan is a minus 51 net. And it's just like, nope, we can't get away rebounding. We don't have anybody else because they didn't add anybody else as a, as a big. So uh, Zeke's going to have an opportunity to make that work. But he, it's not one of those where it's like, you can ease into it. And no matter what, you're going to get these minutes and these reps. And this is a learning season for you to learn how to play small ball five or small ball four. It's a, if you come in and you play well and the bench unit wins their minutes, then you will continue to get minutes. If you do not, then DeAndre Jordan is going to start getting those minutes from, from Zeke Naji. I will tell you that it is, in my opinion, is more likely that DeAndre Jordan takes Zeke Naji's minutes than Jeff Green's. <sighs> Maybe it's just real big brain stuff from Kelvin Booth that he saw that you know, Joel Embiid pushed for the MVP last season when they brought DeAndre Jordan in to make the, his on-off numbers look so spectacularly good that he's yeah. going to do it this year. Like, let's play Jordan behind Jokic so his numbers just get even more boosted because what's coming off the bench is literally yeah. the worst player in the NBA. So we'll see We'll see how that goes. Now, that does take us on to Nikola Jokic. I did have a question about him. Can he improve? Because last season without Murray, without Porter, he, he stepped up in, yeah, his rebound numbers went up. It, it, basically, everything went up. But I look at the numbers, and, and I, I always, what I do when I'm trying to project these guys out, I go, where realistically can he improve? And with Jokic, I go, I don't know what the next step is because you're bringing those guys back in at the expense of Jeff Green and Monty Morris. Like, Murray and Porter are going to take more shots. That's just that's just obviously going to happen. So will he take somewhat of a step back in his usage? But where where can he improve? Or is it just going to be more of the same from Jokic? Because you never want to count him out from improving. I just, I, I, don't know where to, I don't know where to see it. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to find because he's gotten so great. I think from a fantasy production standpoint, it's hard for me to argue he'll be better. The yeah. only real target area is... Uh, he suffered a wrist injury around January and you'll notice that his three point numbers fell off a cliff then. And, and he honestly stopped taking them for a duration of time. 
And that is really the only part of his game that can kind of make a jump back up. If he gets back up to shooting 39% on three pointers, He's only done that. Like, he's done that one year, hasn't he? But I think all the other yeah. years have been like thirty-three, and he had that one outlier thirty-nine percent season. Right. So, but, m- it could happen. He's done it, but yeah. Well, I'd say what I'd say is like he was on a trajectory of upward, and yeah. then the usage because of the injuries, I think, was a big reason why that deteriorated too. But so if you just say like, okay, if he has like a strong year, thirty-seven percent, if he gets back up to like a strong season for him. That's probably where the production comes from. Can he improve? I think he can just from the perspective, his control over the game continues to improve just the way that he is five steps ahead of absolutely everybody on the court. He's, you know, he is arguably, you can argue it, but he is arguably the most impactful player in the NBA night to night on the offensive side of the court. And so does that mean that within, you know, I'm expecting his usage to go down. We kind of saw that in the five games that they had together with the core four. But does his assist rate go up if he's got better weapons? Um, does he just find a, a few more assists? What does the pace look like if they're not having to run him into the ground? Can he move a little bit more so they can boost the pace a little bit because they they ran at one of the, the slowest paces in the NBA last season? If they're able to manage his minutes, is he is he is he playing fewer but more productive minutes with a much more elite group of talent? Those are questions, but I, I think ultimately from a production standpoint, it comes out in a wash. Yeah, I think that's about right. Like, I think he sort of can can stick where he was. Maybe there's like, because his rebound numbers, they went up like he'd previously been at 15, 15, 16 per 100, and he went up to 19, almost 20. Like, that's a gigantic, gigantic leap up. And whether he continues that level, I, I don't know. A lot of rebound rates went up around the NBA with a lot more missed shots, especially early in the season with the reduction in foul calls. But I don't need to get into that debate here. But he did take, like, that's a gigantic step up. That's a 33% increase, basically, in his rebounding, which, you know, that could easily just fall back off a little bit and that nullifies some production or efficiency increases in three-point shooting. So I think the ideal thing is we just look at it and go, value stays around the same, but finding that area where it can get better, it's 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 tough when you're already at such an elite level. Um, continuity. I think it could be an issue. Jokic is there. We know that. But you just referenced it. That core four, that's the Murray, Gordon, Porter, Jokic combo. They played five games together. And now you're introducing Bruce Brown, Contavious Kowalpo, Bones Highland into this mix. These guys just haven't played together. It's a completely different mix to the sort of lineups that they were running last season as well. I think this team has legitimately the top of the West one seed potential for next season. But this continuity thing, I think, I don't know, maybe it has in Denver media. I don't think it's really been mentioned a huge amount. And, and I'm a little worried about it. I think it's fair to be a little bit worried about it early on. I think it's one of those where they may be 13th, 14th offensively, have a real bad start because they're getting used to everybody. Bear in mind that Jokic is playing in Eurobasket, so there's yeah. a very good chance that he's going to miss training camp. And if he doesn't play in training camp, you can't replicate what he does. So it takes time for everybody to learn how to play with him. So they'll have to settle that in. The reason to not be skeptical about or be concerned with it long term over the course of the season is that there's just simply no better connector in the NBA than Jokic. He just makes everybody so much better. He just, he just raises, yeah. he just raises the floor and yeah. he figures guys out and what they need so quickly. Um, you've also got the fact that Aaron Gordon, who was had to make I think the biggest adjustment of anybody, learned a lot last year about how to play next to him and, and really did thrive despite being the second best player on the team, which that's not a role that he's best suited for. Now he's the fourth best, especially offensively. Um, 
you've got more pure shooters, I think, with KCP. You've got Bruce Brown as another connector who I think he'll be able to help some of those units. So um, it's, it's one of the best signings of all the free agency, I reckon, Bruce Brown, because yeah. he just fits in, right? He just, hey, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to hit corner threes? Do you want me to pass a little bit? Do you want me to defend? Do you want me to play at center? Like, I'll do whatever. And yeah. he just fits in perfectly with what they need, I think. You know, injuries will tell the tales as with everybody, but I would say that fully healthy, they can have continuity issues and still execute at such a higher level than 95% of the league. Um, they just have so much firepower wrapped around the ultimate playmaker in Jokic that um, I think it is possible that they struggle early on, but I would be shocked if they're not top 10 in offense by January. It's been a relative, I don't know if it's a consistent thing, but they have had some early struggles and then Jokic just goes, all right, let's go. Like, you know, first six weeks we're, we're floating around, then he just then he just you know cracks on and then everything happens. And didn't really have that um, buffer as much last season, but in previous seasons, we go, what's going on with Jokic? Like, what's, in November, where he's, he's, nothing's working and then all of a sudden it fires up. So we've seen, we've got a track record of that happening with him. I assume, Matt, that this is Bones Highland, but who is the breakout candidate on this team? Yeah, it's going to have to be Bones. Um, you know, it's a lot of, again, a lot of pressure to put on him. And I think that some degree, the, the, I think you're right that there's probably going to be a little bit of overvaluing him in the market mm-hmm. um, on multiple other levels, whether it's fantasy or, or betting. Yep. I do think of all the players, like Bruce Brown's going to do what he does and he will earn his minutes and he'll be a rotation guy. You know, Zeke Naji, maybe if he just comes in and is, if he's just, if he improves in rebounding and he's still the same shooter, if those two things are there, then Zeke Naji is going to be a monster. He's just going to look awesome coming off the bench and play next to Jokic and it's going to be great. Um, but given how highly people already think of MPJ and Jamal and obviously Jokic, um, I do think that that Bones is the most reasonable answer here. I don't have another player that I would really point to. There's some debate on what Christian Brown, uh, Brown's role is going to be on the team. I'm kind of with you and being skeptical of his minutes. Um, so I think that the only real answer you can kind of point to is going to have to be Bones. I guess Brown, if he really shows out, could take some of those Davon Reed minutes, but the Davon Reed minutes are going to be 12 minutes or 13 minutes a night, I would guess, with yeah. Brown and KCP and Murray and, and Bones and all these guys getting those minutes in preference three. He's clearly the 10th man out of that 10-man group, and if Brown jumps in, it's only a 10, 12-minute roll anyway. What about the other side of things, Matt? Who who might be a regression candidate? Ooh, good question. Um... I guess the only one I can really point to is MPJ from the perspective, like how do you regress from missing the entire season last year? But he is being perceived as the guy that he was when he went down. And my only thing is as good as he is, they have players now to be able to say like, if you can't defend, I'm going to the guy that I know, because we're going to have a top five offense. Anyway, I have Nikola Jogic and Jamal Murray with shooters. I don't need the 50, 40, 90 guy who's a target defensively. Remind, so, remind me, Matt, in that playoffs in after Murray got hurt, he, he struggled, didn't he, Porter? He had a really good series versus the Blazers. Okay. And then versus the Suns, he actually tweaked his back. Oh, like that, okay. was the, that was the first one is he got hurt and was suffering a little bit and then got better and then retweaked it in, in preseason. And that was the first major one. And then had the big injury versus the Rockets. So okay. look, everybody's banged up in the playoffs. That's life. But I think 
I don't necessarily, especially if you go back to his playoff history is fascinating because the jazz attacked him and played him off the floor in the 2020 yeah. run. Maybe that's the one. But then, he lit up, yeah. but then he lit up the Clippers like jazz riders are like, I don't know that that guy's ever going to be an NBA player. And Clippers riders are like, Oh my God, MPJ is like one of the five most talented offensive players in the league. So it's, it's, it really is a matter of, are they facing, and this is more playoff question than regular season night to night is it are you facing a team that will pick on him or not and how does he respond to that challenge um will determine a lot of that going forward but with bruce brown kcp and even davon reed to a certain extent if the defense is so bad they do have options the thing is is that for as many defensive lapses as he has as much as he may drive everyone crazy fans and coaches they win the minutes with MPJ because he's so damn talented. So that's kind of always the, the, the question there. So I'll list him, but it's hard to find a real player that I think will wind up having a down year of everybody included maybe Aaron Gordon, but I think his role is going to be so much more limited. Aaron knows how to thrive without having to do much. And that I think is going to be a big opportunity for him this season. Gordon was the one that I was thinking just from a pure numbers perspective, because he goes yeah. from number two, basically to, to number four. And he did have some issues fitting in when even Porter was there, at, when he first came over after that trade, just finding what, where, what his usage was and getting, getting them into the right spot. So maybe it's him. Now, this is an easy question, mate. We can just bang this out in a one word answer. Is this team better than last season? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think this team is going to win 50 plus games. I think this team has, top seed in the West capability, like you talked about. I think this team's a, t- a serious title contender. They're stacked. I think the defense will be better than expected. They have one of the four players you can that you can say on any given night is the best player in the world. Um, they have a hungry team. They're well coached. This team's better. Who's the most likely player to be traded? Ooh, good question. Zeke Naji, probably just based off of his age, contract, and value. It's likely that if he doesn't fit in and the team's like, we gotta, we're got we going to have to shore up the front court, teams are more likely to go after, uh, to want him. He, they did field offers from him last uh, deadline. Jeff Green's probably the other one, but that's going to be more of a cheap deal. If a team's looking for like, oh, you know what, we need a veteran. We'll give you an X for a pick or whatever for, for Jeff Green, you know, protected or, or not, or late first. That might be the case. I think it's going to have to be a bench person. I'd be shocked if any of the starters were traded. Uh, yeah, same. The, the Najee one's interesting because I think, yeah, for fantasy managers, if that does come to fruition, just look at uh, like Jalen Smith because they've quite similar players, like a big yep. man who blocks shots and shoots threes. Like, And we saw Smith get into a role where the numbers were able to put up and he put them up. So just, just watch that one. Now, Matt, I'm going to end this with a bit of a quiz as I do on all of these shows. Basketball Index is a site that has a bunch of uh, analytic grades and different sort of measurements of players' ability. And they've got these three that we've been focusing on. Three-point shooting talent, playmaking talent, and finishing talent. These are grades from last season. It's not three, best three-point percentage. It's not most assists. It's not the highest you know, field goal percentage at the rim. It's like based on volume, difficulty of shots with the three-pointers, versatility of passes, potential assists, where are you hitting those guys, how much are you passing, how much do you have the ball. Finishing is about driving and getting through contact and as well as your know, field goal percentage around the rim, but uh, just your ability to actually finish rather than like I just grabbed an offensive rebound and tapped it in because that's you know, not really an indicator of that. So I'm trying to see the people who cover the team if they their opinions on this can match up with how these guys have determined their numbers. So based on the numbers from last season, who do you think would have graded out as the highest three-point shooting talent on this team? It's 
good question. Hmm. Like, if he'd done this for like the last two years, I would have been like, oh, it's MPJ, easy. He's going to grade out well in all those categories. Um, okay. I'll take Austin Rivers for three-point shooting talent. It was actually Bones Highland. We've spoken about okay. him a ton. I guess, again, they, they do favor that self-created pull-up three-pointer, and he hit him at a pretty good rate as fun. well. So, yeah, just getting a guy like, hey, we need a three. Can you get it? Like, whether it's on a catch-and-shoot or when you got the ball in your hands, it was him. Now... I did a Warriors show yesterday and we talked about three-point shooting talent. That was probably the easiest question I've asked anybody. Sure. Um, this might be up there. Who, who graded out with the highest playmaking talent on this team? I'm thinking it's Nikola Jokic. <laughs> yeah. Off the, off, the, off the top of my head. Yeah, if you got it wrong, I was going to end the end the show right there. Yeah. Um, what about finishing talent though? You know, I noticed that Jokic's numbers were not amazing uh, if it wasn't an offensive rebound putback. So... And Gordon's weren't great either. This isn't tough for me. Um, gosh. Mm. It's neither of the bigs. They couldn't get to the bucket. Monte Morris, maybe? It was actually graded out as Nikola Jokic as well. On You're finishing. kidding. No, which oh, I, I, I was surprised cause... in that as well. Yeah, because he had some trouble when it wasn't offensive rebounds last year. That was one of the issues. But I guess when you're... You know, I guess if you probably if it's counting the floaters, that makes yeah, sense, maybe. right? Like the the quick catch drop off, the teardrops that he hits, that makes sense. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe that's part of it too. Now, this last question is about Michael Porter Jr. We talked about his elite shooting in the 2020-2021 season. In that year, on the way that NBA.com determines tightly contested, he shot 37% on tightly contested threes, which is a ridiculously high amount leading to why he was able to shoot such a high percentage from three. We know he had, you've mentioned the couple of back tweaks he had and he didn't shoot particularly yeah. well. Now, if you know this number, I'm going to be... I'll give you all the praise in the world because I don't expect you to know this number off the top of your head, but just a, a rough sort of area. What percentage did he shoot on those same tightly contested threes in the small sample size of games that he played in 2021, 2022? I'm going to say 19%. It was actually significantly worse than that. He shot, and this gives us hope that, hey, there's going to be some bounce back on this. He shot 7.1% yeah. on tightly contested yeah. threes. Like we were, It was horrible. It's fun. It's funny because we were, it's not funny because he suffered a terrible injury, but uh, and had to have surgery for it, which I have a lot of empathy for the kid. Um, he was so bad and they hadn't told us, he was. like they hadn't told us anything about the injury in preseason at the Warriors game. Like they hadn't mentioned it. They still haven't, they still haven't confirmed that. Um, but he looked shook. Like he just looked like his entire basketball brain had fallen out. And we were like, what is going on? Like, is he just lost? Like, what is, like, we genuinely didn't know what was happening. Um, and then it turns out like, yeah, he tweaked his back and then he suffered the major injury. And that was why. And that makes a lot more sense given his incredible shooting talent. So yeah, it's, it's honestly a bummer that those games are on the books because they'll hurt his, you know, year by year figures and his overalls to whatever degree that they will in small sample. But uh, for an incredible shooter, that was probably the biggest indicator of like, yeah, he's probably hurt because no matter what, he should be able to hit shots because he's just an incredible 6'10 shooter. Yeah, nobody who's even a remotely good shooter is hitting 7% on shots like that. So it gives us significant hope that even if he's not all the way back and there's going to be rests and all that sort of stuff, he's probably not going to hit 7%. Matt, that'll do us for this show. Thank you for coming on and chatting about the Denver Nuggets. I know Adam is over in Serbia at the moment. So what do you got uh, cooking for Locked on Nuggets at the moment? 
Yeah, we're going to do a guide to how to bet the Nuggets this year because I do a lot of betting work over at actionnetwork.com, so you can check that out. I'm also going to do take a look at some of the recent comments from Carmelo Anthony talking about how he never wanted to be traded, which I'm a little skeptical of, having <laughs> talked to some people in the organization. Uh, we'll also start looking ahead to training camp and getting you set for that, as well as coverage of Nikola Jokic and the Eurobasket friendlies in anticipation of his start with Eurobasket in September. Go check all that out. I can't wait to hear you chat about Carmelo Anthony. Matt, thank you again for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And that will do it for this show today. We have got a plethora of shows coming tomorrow. At this point, I think I've got three team preview shows coming tomorrow. So stay tuned and follow on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app, and you'll never miss one. And if you're on YouTube, you know how to do it. You subscribe, you thumb up, you leave your comments. It'll appear in your feed, and you go watch them, and hopefully you enjoy them. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.